So we got a, a new washer. Our, our washer crapped out a week and a half ago, something like that, around a week and a half ago. And so we got a new washer installed this week on Tuesday. And my wife, um, being the more responsible, both fiduciary and just generally more responsible uh, part of our partnership, uh, was the one who picked it out at from Warner Stellion online and scheduled the delivery and all that. I was just here to basically, you know, just make sure it got in and all that, uh, unscrew the handle for our to our downstairs so that it could actually fit down uh, down our stairs and all that. Just doing all the the grunt work or whatever. And uh, they left it here, and I was like, "Oh, you guys not gonna install this?" And and they're like, "Oh no, uh, you didn't pay for installing." I was like, "Okay, cool." So I checked it with Anna before they left, and she's like, "Yeah, no, I figured, you know, screw a few things on, and you're good to go, right? It's not a you're not connecting gas or anything like that." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense." So install the washer, and I'm and our floor where the our washer dryer is not level. So the previous washer and dryers that were there, the, the previous owner had had has had like pieces of wood and like screwed down the the legs of the, whatever of the dryer so that like and dryer in the, in the washer so they would get level. Over the course of the last you know three years we've been living in this house, they both came on you know wobbly or whatever. And so we had we had replaced our dryer earlier in the year, and we had them install the dryer. And for the washer, we didn't have them install it. So. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, no, sure, it's fine, whatever, I can do it. And I got my level out, made sure it was pretty level. And then uh, today, uh, we were literally, before we started recording the podcast, where my wife's been washing, so she, we have a, this new washer is like gigantic. So you can, we can like wash all of our bedding. So like our comforter, the duvet, pillows, like it's a gigantic fucking washer. It's great, which is great and awesome. But it's also means like, so the washer, Apparently, I did not keep it level, so it was moving, and apparently it knocked our dryer just enough off of its axes so that it came disconnected from the the vent to put the you know the dryer heat outside of the house. Right? I didn't realize this. Uh, the other earlier this afternoon, I was listening. I was going to the bathroom, and you, like the, our bathroom is right above where our dryer is. And I was listening to it, and I was like, God, I can hear that dryer moving around a lot. That seems weird. Why is it banging, like doing so much banging? And I didn't think too much of it. And then literally about 45 minutes ago, Anna's like, hey, before you uh, record the podcast, can you go down and just like, for some reason, the dryer, she had been down to check on the, the dryer stuff, the, the stuff she'd been drying two two times already, like less, like more than two hours ago. She's like, yeah, can you check before you go for the podcast? I was like, yeah, sure. I opened the door. And I'm just like fucking hit by this humidity. <laughs> That I have no, I'm like, what in the hell is going, why is it so goddamn humid down here? And I, I like walk down the stairs, see the dryer is like at like a 45 degree angle from where it's supposed to be, <laughs> not connected to the vent at all. And it's still going just like, it like, literally it's like the, the fucking wheel on the, the dryer hasn't moved anywhere from like the, it's like, it's on the energy saver. So it's just, it's just continuing to dry and just continuing to push hot, humid air out into our, our, uh, our basements. Um, so hence why we got a, a late start on the podcast today. So, um, so kudos to me for, you know, installing things correctly. Kudos to my wife for like saving the, the $20 the installation fee because <laughs> that probably would have solved all of our problems. What I'm hearing is that you've come up with an ingenious solution for uh, cheap basement saunas. Correct. I was I'm sweating my balls off. I was just trying to get out of that 
take care before the podcast. <laughs> no, I swear with a couple pieces of hardware from your local uh, Ace Hardware or small uh, hardware store, you probably wouldn't need to pay for heating during the winter if you did this right. Correct. <laughs> podcast a little bit early uh day early since there was no match for us to talk about this week we figured we could get a head start and uh because potentially hopefully we're gonna need to record a emergency podcast later in the week um give you guys a give our our intrepid co-hosts a, a, a monday evening off and we're recording as we're recording it's uh the 29th at 8 20 so we're like the nashville columbus game is ongoing it's still zero zero i'm sure we'll uh we'll talk about that once it you know once it ends so yes, yeah, so we don't necessarily know the score right right away for that game, but uh, yeah, we're gonna keep going. Uh, anyways, um, Patreon, visit our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash the Daves I know. Um, we are getting very very close. I got an email or a text from Christian earlier this week that the pop the Heath Out Stout is bottled, and now it's just sitting for the, the requisite two weeks, and then it will be ready for it to be distributed. Uh, we're working on a plan to distribute the beer, but uh, if you want to get involved in that and you're not already currently a Patreon and haven't been for at least a month, you can join right now. The $6 a month uh, level, you'll get a bomber of the Heath Out Stout. You can even then just cancel right away. Like pay us the six bucks, get the beer. It's going to be fucking amazing. Um, we have a, a new Patreon content coming out that later this week. I'm going to be dropping the most recent Watch Party podcast that... Luke Craig and Martin and I did. Um, hopefully have some other stuff relatively soon. Uh, yeah, MJ. And if you didn't see Christian's or the Hop Clouds tweet on peanut allergies, if you have a peanut allergy, but you are a Patreon, we will find a alternate beer to give you. That is correct. That is true. Yes. Um, yes. So please do that. Patreon.com slash the Daves I know to help support the Daves that you know. All right. We have uh, we have the regular crew here. We have MJ. We have Dan. MJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm drinking an, an IPA, uh, or, uh, indeed, flavor wave IPA. I am, I still, after four days, have Thanksgiving food left over because I did a self Thanksgiving and I made nine sides. So, pretty much all the nine sides are, I, I have a couple, I have a little bit of Brussels sprouts with, with bacon and red onion left. I have a little bit of the wild rice hot dish I made left, and I have some turkey left or uh, chicken left. So yeah, uh, that's insane. Yeah, no, I mean, insane, MJ. <laughs> uh, Dan, how are you? 
Yeah, doing pretty well. Had a pretty solid weekend. Uh, got a good hike in yesterday with it being like 50 odd degrees. And then I uh, came home and binge watched season two of the Umbrella Academy, which uh, was was very good. It was very different from season one. Uh, they definitely took themselves a lot more seriously, but uh, it's a it's a good and entertaining show. So if you haven't watched the Umbrella Academy and you're looking for some uh, some easy things to binge watch, I do recommend it. Although I will throw this caveat on it. Um, it is a weirdly violent show. They treat it all like very, I mean, it's based on a graphic novel, so it's sort of comic booky violence, uh, but there's just a lot of it. And at some point you realize, you're like, I've seen like six bodies get dismembered and nobody really paying attention to any of them. <laughs> and then you watch the next episode because it's great. And, you know, it's not like Tarantino where they're like glorying in the violence and it's all gory and all that kind of stuff. But at some point you're like, God, this is a really violent show. <laughs> Right on. How does it compare to the 1970s Batman, where they did the pows and the other sort of exclamatories? It is it is notably more violent than that. Okay. Uh, there is blood, and I have not seen any cardboard cutouts that say Biff. Okay. <laughs> no. Notably more violent. Good to know. Um, might be the name of the podcast. So, uh, all right. So, other United news. Uh, I just want to shout out. We didn't we didn't really talk about it. Um, I haven't really talked about it too much. But the Dark Clouds End of the Year Awards and Silent Auction is going to be this weekend. Um, actually, it's going to be on December 4th, so next this coming Friday. Uh, I think it's going to start at 7 p.m., if I'm not mistaken. It'll be on the, the Dark Clouds Twitch stream. I'm sure if you are a member of the Dark Clouds, you'll be getting an email uh, with a link. If you Or you can check your email from last week. I believe they have the information in there. Uh, we're going to go through the end of the year awards. Um, there'll be a sort of a state of the dark clouds with uh, uh, Sam Solberg, the president of the dark clouds. And then uh, Andy from Toil and Trouble Trivia is going to be doing some, some soccer related trivia afterwards. And this is going to be, that also will serve as the kickoff for the dark clouds end of year silent auction, uh, which we do every year. This year is benefiting, I believe, the Sana Foundation and Like a Girl. Um, potentially one other organization, kind of depending on how much money we are able to raise. Uh, we're doing it. It's going to be all. It's going to be all online. Uh, uh, there'll be a link that will be in the newsletter on Wednesday or Thursday, whenever that uh, newsletter goes out. Um, and there'll be a, plenty of reminders vis-a-vis uh, -vis, or via uh, Twitter, um, Instagram, I would assume, as well as uh, the newsletter. <clears throat> The online auction will be open for, I believe, from Friday night at 7 p.m. to, I believe, the, the following, to Tuesday, uh, I think at around 7 or 8 p.m. So it'll be open for basically four days. <clears throat> we have a lot of really cool items. Uh, I'm, I sort of chair the silent auction and been doing it for the last four or five years now. Uh, we have uh, a Pakai Debasi signed shirt from the team. We have a... Uh, autographed a certified autographed uh pele picture of him doing a bike kick with him signing he's like signed where he's like his jersey or whatever or uh <clears throat> on the picture we have a four or five five or six different um international player jerseys including uh ronaldo uh philip coutinho um there's a uh there's a u.s women's national team uh signed item i can't remember exactly i'm just drawing a blank on who it was anyways on top of that, we have um, a karaoke. You can, win a, you can you can bid on a karaoke party at the Black Heart of St. Paul. Uh, uh, a two-hour customized trivia session. Just lots of really really cool shit. Um, 
we'll have about 40 to 50 different items in there. So if you are interested, uh, we, and we're going to be setting up a pickup time uh, for about a week after that. So like the following um, Friday or Saturday, as well as then sending everything out in the mail. So if you want to get something for a Christmas item for your friend or family member who's a soccer fan, um, we should have some really cool stuff. And so I'm really excited for that. Uh, please. Um, it's one of the big things that I do with the dark clouds every year is the silent auction. And we'd love to have as many people um, participate as possible. So that'll be on uh, starting December 4th. So do that as if you can. And it goes to good causes. Yes, 100%. There, there's actually, MJ, you will be, there's an Everton scarf that will be available to bid for. So, did Ryan submit it? He did. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm going to make sure that I email Jerky so that he knows to, to bid on it as well to see uh, see if we can get as much, as much money out of Jerky as we possibly can. So, <laughs> always a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 open to anybody. So, if you have any friends who are soccer fans who are not dark clouds um, around the around the country, around the world, uh, please, you know, be, feel free to send them the link because it's going to be, we have a lot of stuff that's, we have a lot of Minnesota, Minnesota specific stuff. We also have a lot of stuff um, that is not Minnesota specific. So it's definitely, uh, I think it would be something for everybody uh, out there. So, for so example, yeah. The Everton scarf is not Minnesota specific. That is, yes, 100% true. The Everton scarf is not Minnesota specific. So. Pele, a, pay, a signed picture of Pele. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, so please. Uh, Did I win? Did I win? You yeah. Uh, all right, let's jump in. We have we don't have a, like so we don't have a game to recap this week, but we do have a game to preview. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, we have a couple some questions that were left over from last week that we didn't really get to. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happened so far with the MLS uh, in the conference uh, semifinal round, um, as well as what happened in the you know the previous round of the matches that we did not discuss, and then we'll talk mostly probably spending the bulk of our time here talking about the sports in the match coming up on Wednesday at 8 p.m. So, um, all right, Joyce, you guys, you want to jump in? Let's do it. All right. Uh, Dan, let's start with your question first. Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, I spent a bunch of time as we were prepping for the podcast in in stats and started looking around um, somewhat depressingly. Uh, Kai Kamara and Mason Toy combined for as many goals this year as Ike Opara. And it got me thinking, uh, you know, based on kind of what we saw in in the last game where we really saw some defensive cohesion kind of for the first time. Um, and it, it, we spent an extended amount of time talking about this last week, so we don't need to rehash it. But this team's been through a number of defensive alignments. So Icopar is still very clearly the most talented defender on this team, but he hasn't really played that we've in, in a competitive match since March. And uh, it would be yet another uh, new face. You know, he and Dane St. Clair, for example, have never worked together. Uh, so, I mean, the, the theoretical here, and, and there's obviously no evidence behind this, so it truly is just kind of a, a pure theoretical, is if Ike Opara were miraculously healthy tomorrow, would you start him against Sporks? So my answer to this is assuming that when you say miraculously healthy, that on a scale of zero to 10, where Ken is perfectly healthy, fit as a fiddle, and zero is my credit score right now, or a health level that's just atrocious, that I would start him if, if Ike was seven or better, you start him in a heartbeat. And you could convince me that if he was a five or a six, you should start him for, for his defensive intelligence alone 
So, okay. Um, I, a couple things there. Uh, has, so in your, in your hypothetical scenario, has he been, even though he hasn't played at all, has he been training with the team or is he just coming in cold? Like he, uh, he's, he's obviously healthy. He's fit. Has he been, but has he, has he practiced at all with the team? So everything, the, the only counterfactual is that he wakes up tomorrow morning, like full on touched by an angel, a hundred percent healthy. So if he's been practicing, which we don't really know, the answer seems to be no intermittently, maybe yes. Uh, if he's been practicing, then yes. If he hasn't, then no. Like truly he wakes up tomorrow morning and he feels a hundred percent the docs do a scan, everything comes back a hundred percent normal. He truly like feels amazing. But we're not we're not retconning that uh uh, just in case you're not a huge dork, uh, retconning is where you retroactively change the continuum of a story. <laughs> this is very well known in comic books. Yes. Um, so we're not retconning that, in fact, Ike Opara has been healthy for weeks and that Adrian Heath has been hoarding him for this incredible shock moment reveal against the Sporks. By the way, if this happens, I will be thrilled. Uh, also, full credit to Adrian Heath for for really some, some plot foresight. Um, so... It, no, we're not. We're not saying that he's he's secretly healthy and has been training as a secret weapon. Like that, he's been training as much as he's been training, but he's now healthy. That's the only. Sure. Okay, that that helps, that helps me. Um, I, you know, the, no, I mean you can't. As much as you want to, as much as he would, as much as I would love, I was thinking about this earlier today. As much as I would love to see him and Bakai Debasi as a center back pairing, for like for an entire year, right? Michael Boxo has been, um, when he's played and he's played most of the games, the most consistent player for Minnesota United this year. I think he has, he's had, he's had a couple of games where he's not looked super great, you know, admittedly. However, I think consistently he's been the, the best player for Minnesota United for the entire season. Right. And we're talking the two games in March, all of MLS is back. And then the, you know, the MLS is back is back uh, portion of the schedule. So, I don't think you you can take him out. I don't, you know, Bakai Debasi has done, he's, you know, how many goal line clearances has that dude had in like the seven games he's played in, right? I think he's had two <laughs> or three. He, he, based on how he's played, you can't, I don't think you can legitimately take him out. So the question is, is where does Ike go? Um, if you, now, if you're talking about uh, running a, a three, five, two, let's have a conversation. But knowing Adrian Heath, He's not running a three-five-two, and so as, as as amazing as it would be to have Ike on on the pitch, I think he doesn't. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any way you could start him at all the rest of the year, especially in in, in your hypothetical scenario, Dan, where he just wakes up and he's 100 percent healthy. If he hasn't been practicing, if he's if he's been out there on the field and he's been he's been getting some reps with the guys, I think it's a different question, right? If he's even if he's not, you know, he's not playing at 100 percent during the practice this time, but he's he's working with Dane, he's working with either Michael or, or Bakai or both and, and kind of going back and forth. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know what, coach, I can go. Then I think it's a whole other question, but I don't think we can, I don't think we can make any judgments about that. I don't think we make any assumptions about that. And so I think you, you, there's no way in hell that you could play him. Would I put it, would I put it past Adrian Heath to actually like fucking suit him up? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> in a hypothetical scenario, but I don't think there's any way that you can legitimately like, say that he deserves to play at this point this year. So I, 
I definitely started uh, with MJ that when no matter what the scenario is, you put your best players on the field. And, and so I, I mean, Ike Opara, if he's by far the best defender, this team has, I would argue he's still the best player. Although Reynoso now makes that a conversation in the way that we didn't really have a conversation to have last year. Um, but the thing I keep coming back to is this defense is not good, but it is succeeding in a lot of ways. And like, I don't know. I, I, what I'm picturing is like a, like a crappy, let's say like 1995 Saturn and it's holding together. It's doing okay, but it's not doing great. And then you drop a 2020, like pickup engine in it, you're going to rip the drivetrain off that thing. Like, yes, you have this amazing part that you've added in, but you've now broken everything else irreparably. So I think that's where I fall. That uh, that this that that particularly Debasi and Boxel are so aware of the frailties around them, including the ones they themselves cause. Uh, that I want those guys who are who are super aware of where the errors are going to come from, not the guys out there who are maybe even more talented and who may not make the mistakes, but when a mistake gets made, may not be able to recover in time. So I think, I think the answer to this is no, but I think there's a definite conversation for, yeah, I mean, you, you always have your best, most talented players on the field. So maybe this, you do go to a three, five, two, who knows? My argument would be if it, if it were someone like, a Chase Gasper or a Hassani Dotson that was coming out, out after most of the season being injured or sick or unavailable and not trained. That's a different story because one, their speed is one of their better, their speed and their youth are one of the better assets. And two, they do not have a lot of MLS experience where Ike has lots of experience. So it is going to be much more like riding a bike than playing an instrument where you have to get your chops or your fingers or whatever back into shape. Um, especially if you look at his age, he's already started to adapt the way he plays and compensates for his age and fitness and speed. I just don't see the downside of having someone who is a little bit better with the field vision defensively and command that back line and help things and clear out. Yeah, but yeah, but you're but you're taking out either Michael Boxel or Bakai Debasi, right? So you're you're yeah, taking, I take out Boxel and yeah, I think you Boxel out and or or you're or, which is on his you know his favorite right foot, or you're moving him pushing over to the left where he's you know he's obviously played with Ike and they have they have that you know that previous rapport, obviously. Now I will say you could make an argument where you move Michael Boxel to the left. You slide Chase Gasper out of the lineup, and you slide Bakai Debasi over to the left fullback position. I would I would entertain that argument for starting Ikapara you know, on Wednesday if he was miraculously healthy. That is an argument yeah. I, I would entertain. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't think I would actually come down with you on it, but I, I would at least entertain that conversation. I can see the merits of that. All right, so we we have consensus <laughs> on the off chance. That there's a, a miracle healing overnight. <laughs> we now we now know what we would do. So we slide uh, everybody everybody one step to the left and uh, and Chase Gasper one step to the left on the bench. Um, 
So that now we've now we got the hard part done. All we need is the miracle. Right, right. Uh, all right. So we had a couple questions from uh, our listener and friend Eric Grady. Uh, let's start with the easy one. Right, the first one. So that yeah. So so if Reynoso could finish, would he be in a top five Europe uh, European league right now? So. I think we, we we sort of touched on this one last year uh, or last week. Sorry. Um, who wants to take this one first? Well, first of all, based on last week, I think we need to qualify that by top five for, for without going into Patreon content, we will consider that the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, Ligue 1, and the five. Primera. That's five. Oh, did I get five? Yeah. Yeah. English, okay. German, Spanish, Italian, French. Yeah. Those are your top five, yes? Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. I would say that Reynoso's style of play and linguistically would fit very well in Spain, France, or Italy. Sure. So if, if he, he could, could score... Would he be yeah, a top as, as a ten? Yeah. Like if he if he is, you know, with his dribbling skills, field vision, passing ability, and he can score, then he's a number ten. You know, maybe for a Sevilla or a Valencia, maybe even better, but probably not one of the top three. Um, okay, Dan. Yeah, I think. I think the, the more meaningful split here is not necessarily which of these leagues, because I, I think right now Reynoso probably starts for West Brom or uh, I can't even think of who else is terrible besides Arsenal. God, Arsenal's terrible. Uh, he doesn't, st- he doesn't start for Arsenal. He doesn't start for Manchester United either, but like, you know, any club, Look, I, like if he, uh, Armenia Bielefeld, for example, I think he could walk into that team right now. And so, Schalke. Uh, Schalke is also terrible. Uh, <laughs> Schalke is worse than Arsenal, and Arsenal's terrible. Um, so, I like, I think that the top five distinction almost isn't meaningful anymore. Like, it definitely used to be. It used to, it used to be like this big marker of quality, but we're seeing so much strata happening within these leagues. So, could he start for Manchester City, Liverpool, even Everton, and as much as I joke, even Arsenal? No. Could he play for a, a mid or bottom table club? Yeah, probably. Uh, so that that's kind of muddies the waters a little bit. So the easy answer to the question is, yes, he could definitely, whether he learns to finish or not, he can play in a big five league. It's just a question of how good the, the team itself is. But I do think it's worth pointing out that we are currently watching the best run of Emmanuel Reynoso's career. Um, so he, for his entire career at Boca, he had one more goal and the exact same number of assists he has for Minnesota United right now in 1,419 more minutes, which is about 16 games or uh, damn near half a season. So <laughs> if Brenoso continues to produce at this rate, Minnesota United will be able to sell him to any major league in the world for a lot of money if they choose to do so. Uh, I don't think he commands quite as much as, as someone like Miguel Almoron, but you start to entertain those kind of offers. If he regresses a little bit to something closer to his kind of normal production, 
that's when I think you start looking and going, okay, uh, you know, hey, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt is putting in a one or $2 million offer. Like, do you think about that? And if, and if you're Reynoso, is it meaningful to you to go play in the Bundesliga or Ligue 1 if you're not playing for Dortmund, RB, Bayern, PSG, Monaco, Lyon, Montpellier? Yeah, <clears throat> that is a you know that is a question. He is also so he just he just turned twenty five. Um, Miguel Amaron is I think only twenty three right now. Um, so you know he's 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 older than Miguel Amaron. Uh, he clearly he doesn't have as much he does not have as much upside as Miguel Amaron does. Um, uh, so or sorry, I take that back. Miguel Amaron's twenty six right now, but he he transferred to. Newcastle when he was 23 years old, right? So he's, you know, in that case, Reynoso is already sort of behind Amarone in terms of the being able to, you know, the transfers and all that. So, um, you know, I could easily see him going, like him continuing to sort of progress and continue and play at this level for the next, you know, year and a half. And like legitimately, um, I don't, you know, if it's not Spain or Italy, uh, I think it's more than likely either back to Argentina uh, or or Mexico. Honestly, I could see you know like a, a Club America, or, you know, or not Club America, but a a, um, a Mexican team <clears throat> stepping up and and you know putting in a bid for you know Club León or uh, Chivas or something uh, going for uh, a player like Miguel Amarón. So or sorry, uh, uh, Manuel Reynoso. Um, I don't think he necessarily needs to go across the pond. You know, the other question is, is, does he start getting, like, legitimately, can he start getting looks for the national team? And I think that might be the bigger determining factor. If, if the national team uh, comes to him and says, hey, we need you at a bigger club, you're doing really well. At Minnesota, we need you at a bigger club uh, or a more well-established club, uh, you know, either in South America or in Mexico or in Europe, then I think that is when you, you know, we can legitimately see uh, a transfer for Reynoso. Reynoso has a contract through uh, 2023 with a team option for a following year. So he's, you know, he's legitimately like, you know, tied to Minnesota for quite a while unless he, he really, really wants to move. So that's uh, a good question. So anyways, that's that. And that kind of actually is a great transition to leads us to Eric's other question, um, which is, uh, I think, a fun one. Uh, what player familiar to a casual sports fan would you compare Reynoso? So we have a, he, he sort of suggested three different uh, things. European club. So what kind of a European player would Reynoso be compared to uh, the U.S. men's national team or any other national team? What kind of uh, a player would Ray, Reynoso be compared to and then other sport so um you know pick a pick a different sport probably a basketball or hockey honestly those are the, probably the two <laughs> the two best sports in terms of comparing to soccer um but yeah so why don't you uh let's start with the european clubs and uh dan i'll start with you yeah so i think it's useful at this point to kind of toss out reynoso's biggest characteristics so his biggest characteristics to me are uh, incredibly good in the open field, great field vision, uh, ability to dribble in tight spaces, maybe too much appetite for that, but you know, that's a personal preference thing. Um, phenomenal at finding through balls. He isn't a huge aerial 
uh, either either sending or receiving, not a huge aerial threat. And if he has a deficiency in his game, he does not shoot particularly well. So the first name that came to mind for me is Santi Cazorla. And I am now realizing as I look at that, that's not a name that most casual sports fans know. Um, oopsies, yeah. that's my bad. Uh, so let's 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 take it, let's take this question in a in a, in a broader sense, right? So uh, someone who's a soccer a, a soccer fan, maybe a, a Euro snob, not really an MLS follower. How would you? And Sandy Gazzola is actually a, a name that you know people who are like maybe American Euro Euro snobs who don't follow MLS, they probably would know that name. So they know Sandy I think that's yeah. yeah. Okay, because I mean, look, if you're truly like a casual casual soccer fan, you know, watch the World Cup only. The most similar player to that profile is probably Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. But calling Reynoso the, the the MLS equivalent of Kevin De Bruyne puts an unbelievable amount of pressure on him, considering De Bruyne is arguably the best player in the world right now. Right. So the other name I'll throw out there is Cesc Fabregas, um, who's currently at Monaco, which I have. Uh, so your Arsenal bias, though. Kind, well, <laughs> kind of. I mean, why Cesc and not Messi also? Uh, because he's not so uh Seska's a better through ball passer and Ozil uh was far more creative but less industrious than I think Reynoso is. And by oh. that I mean like he was far more willing to try to see the absolutely crazy skip pass, but not necessarily the guy who was always in position to make that pass. And I think Reynoso is the opposite. So uh, he's somebody more like Sesk who is really good at getting, particularly in the attacking third, into really dangerous positions. Someone who sees the, where the next pass needs to go, but someone who does not score as well as a truly elite player would. Uh, MJ. So my Euro player is Angel Di Maria. He's left-footed. He's from Argentina. He... Uh, Although he plays on the wing, he has played central attacking midfielder before. And he creates a lot more. Well, let me put this this way. From around the period of 2012 to 2015, when he was with Real Madrid, and there were plenty of other people like a Kareem Benzema and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, let's say, to score goals, he had a lot more assists than goals. Right on, yeah. Well, I'm going to show my Liverpool bias here. I, I think if you were going to compare him to with the type of movement that he does and types of, of things that he can do, I would com- I would probably compare him to, <clears throat> for the Euro- European side, uh, Bobby Firmino, um, especially with the inability to score uh, recently. Um, <clears throat> he does do a lot of the same things. He can create those passes. He can dribble. I, I want to start off with the national team side because I actually – I also have a Liverpool player, but I prefer – this Liverpool player is a much more favorable comp- comp- uh, comparison to him in his national team side than he is when he plays for Liverpool, and that's Ginny Wijnaldum. I don't know if you guys watch Ginny when he plays for the Netherlands. He plays a lot more like Emmanuel Reynoso. Um, he actually actually and he actually has a, a good finishing boot for the Netherlands. He plays a slightly different role, much more of that um, that central attacking mid, and uh, and it, he does some of the, still some same of the some some of the same Ginny stuff that he does with with Liverpool where he'll take someone on, on dribble. Um, and he's, he does have that sort of preternatural instinct with the rest of his uh, Netherland teammates, which that Bobby Firmino has uh, on the, on the European side with the likes of Mane and, and Salah. So I think that would be my sort of, uh, you know, especially current players in, in comparison. So 
Um, MJ, who do you have on the national team side for? I went, I went back a ways. I went to uh, Claudia Reyna, uh, G- G- Giovanni Reyna's father. Again, half Argentinian and uh, <laughs> at least with the United States national team, he had what I write down 19 assists and eight goals. Yeah. And that seems to be about what Reynoso could get to on a, on a assist to goals ratio. Yeah. And just remember, like, just seeing highlights of Claudio Reyna, it, it, you know, you can definitely see some of the same uh, genes that are there for Bebelo. Field vision, accurate passing, you know, creativity with the ball, getting out of tight spaces. All right, Dan? Yeah, I struggled with this one. So I, I like both of those answers. The The best I could come up with was sort of mid-career Michael Bradley. Yes, um, yes. A, a guy who is just incredibly influential. If you If you watch the game, you feel like he's always on the ball. Every time something good happens, he was the one who started it. But you look at the stat sheet and you're like, he didn't do anything. And it's it's kind of this disconnect. And so uh, Reynoso currently has been stuffing the stat sheet. But even when that wasn't true, kind of, uh, you know, let's say five or six games ago, we we use that same phrase. Whenever something good happens, he was part of it. So that's kind of the, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, Michael Bradley. He currently bears no resemblance to Reynoso because he plays a holding mid and he does that pretty effectively. But uh, so, yeah, you'd have to go back and dig up some Gold Cup highlights to see what I'm talking about. Fair point. And then in the uh, in the non uh, soccer realm, Dan, we'll start with you. Yeah. So this is this honestly was easier for me than even other soccer players. And the answer is Ricky Rubio. Um, Rubio now has added a little bit of a jump shot to his game, uh, so that he is more kind of dual threat dangerous. But particularly in his first stint with the Timberwolves, Rubio was phenomenal on the dribble and just had this sixth sense for a pass, but after about his first three games, the scout tape came out that he couldn't shoot. And so teams just took away his passing lanes and therefore took away his effectiveness. Uh, as his career has, has progressed, he's gotten to be a much more complete player, but that, that player who can open you up off the dribble, who wants to be in tight technical spaces and who always knows where his teammates is. That's Ricky Rubio to a T. Yeah, I was thinking on the basketball side, Jason Kidd, and Ricky Rubio is much better because Jason Kidd knows how to dribble drive and dunk and lay up when he needs to. Yeah, Kidd was was definitely a better finisher. Uh, Kidd also gave my all-time favorite press conference uh, quip when he told a reporter when he arrived, I think with the net, that they were going to turn the team around 360 degrees. So, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, MJ. I'm going to go with, with, with um, Mika Koibu. Maybe not a household name for nationwide sports fans, but if you're a Minnesota sports, sports fan, you know who Mika Koibu is. He plays in the center. He's good with tight spaces. He does score goals, let's say, on shootouts. But other than that, he's an assist guy. He's, he's good in tight spaces, and he finds his teammates. Uh, that's fair. I You know, I struggle with this one. Um... I was trying to think hockey and uh, I was actually thinking Mike Gartner. I don't know if you guys remember Mike Gartner was a right wing 
Um, played mostly for the Washington Capitals. Had a couple years with the Minnesota North Stars in the uh, late 80s. Um, and then played with the New York Rangers, the, the New York Rangers team. And I, I was actually thinking about Mark Messier, actually, as a... Yes, I thought of that name as well. When he was playing with Edmonton, when he was playing with, with Wayne Gretzky, uh, a distributor, a guy who, uh, you know, uh, was willing to do shit, which is, I think, one of Reynoso's uh, better defining characteristics. He's just willing to do shit, right? Um, I think that's I think that's an important thing for for a, a creator uh, like a player like Babylon. So, anyways, that was hey, that's a good question. Um, so, thank you, uh, Grady, for for sending that. Um, yeah. All right, let's move on, and we have a our formerly better known loon segment now a once a crow segment. Uh, and it's a it's a familiar a familiar face for uh, Minneapolis City fans. So MJ, tell us about Once a Crow. Today, Once a Crow is Brandon Bot because in the sixty somethingth minute of Orlando versus New England Revolution, he came in as a defensive player as someone to protect the lead, and he did really well. But before he was in in New England playing for the Revolution. He was playing for Minneapolis City. Let's go back even further. Born in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Went to college or, uh, in Western Michigan. Dan, do you know the mascot of Western Michigan? Uh, Broncos. Very good. So, and then he played for Grand Rapids, who are now in USL League 2, but back then they were in the Premier League of America in the Great Legs Premier League Division. And then he played for Kalamazoo FC in the NPSL, uh, Great Lakes West Division. And then he played for Minneapolis City. Now, he only played maybe, well, three NPSL games and maybe a couple other, you know, friendlies or open cut games or things like that to Minneapolis City. But in those three games, he did score a goal. So um, congrats to Brandon Bay. You, you were once a pro, you now are in MLS, and you got to play in the MLS Cup playoffs. Pretty darn impressive. Right on. He's been good for New England, too. He's, a, he's a been a solid player for them. Been he's very pretty good, yeah. versatile as far as filling, like, holes in wherever they need to fill a hole. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's quickly talk about New England. Um, so first off, uh, so before we after we record our podcast last week, there's still three first round games that need to be played. Toronto FC hosting Nashville, they lost one nothing to Nashville. Uh, Philadelphia Union then uh, hosted the Porter Shield winners. Philadelphia Union hosted New England Revolution, and the aforementioned with Brandon By lost two nothing. So both road teams, the seven and eight seeds, one on the road and one. Uh, knocking off the the top two seeds in the Eastern Conference playoff, and then in the Western Conference, the Seattle Sounders uh, beat the LAFC LAFC three to one at home. Uh, they just just ran all over LAFC. It was a particularly uh, uh, egregious game to watch. So that set up our our you know Western or Eastern and Western Conference semifinals. I also throw out I forgot I think if I mentioned uh, Eric Miller, uh, formerly of Minnesota, now of Nashville, is donating a a yellow Nashville SC Eric Miller jersey to the Dark Clouds auction. Ooh, uh, nice. Going up on. Oh, and I forgot. Also, I, I don't know what exactly they're donating, but Chris Ramirez, Miguel Ibarra, and Turbo Tobin are also donating stuff 
as well to the auction. I'm assuming probably something from their current team, but you know, who the hell knows? So even more reason to, uh, to check out the auction. It's going to be, it's going to be, like I said, really great. So, all right, that brings us to the semifinals. Uh, earlier this afternoon or this evening, uh, Orlando City played New England. They hosted New England, as a matter of fact, and they lost three to one. Uh, this was a, did you guys watch this game at all? Yes. Second half. Yeah. Okay. First half was, well, yeah, it was, it was a, I, I was, I was like half paying attention, half watching my kid. Uh, I was trying to do a bunch of other stuff. New England scored the first two goals, uh, went up early to nothing. Uh, Orlando city got one back like the 22nd minute or something like that. And then, you know, there was a chance for, well, it was still two to one for, uh, Orlando city to tie it up. Uh, they got a PK in the, I want to say like, it's like the 65th minute or something like that already down. They were down to 10 men at this point. They had, uh, 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 particularly egregious, I blanking on the uh, guy's name, uh, uh, Perea, uh, particularly egregious tackle, um, two-footed tackle for, for a red guard. But they get a penalty, and Nani steps up. And uh, Nani, uh, who has been, uh, let's say, less than stellar with his penalties in, in MLS recently, just Matt Turner steps up and makes a great save. Uh, New England, in about 10 minutes later, goes down and scores, make it 3-1. to one. What are you guys' thoughts on this game? Uh <laughs> MJ, I'll start with you. First of all, the the studs of tackle by Pereira was definitely a red card. And Nani is lucky with all the fondling he did of the referee that he did not get sent off as a red as well. He should have. Yeah. What? He should have. Yes. And he ended up getting what I call escaping with the Manchester United privilege. Uh, with just a yellow, which what should have been a red. I mean, he was verbally abusing the ref and also having his hands all over him. So he ended up getting a yellow for the stent. And then DK for Orlando steps in front of the defender to, to receive a pass and just boxes the guy out really, really well. And the defender kicks or runs through him. And that's definitely a foul in the box. And I'm thinking to myself, if you know what Nani did, even recently, that, you know, he scored a penalty kick in the, in the game, but he missed his penalty kick in the shootout. Even there, maybe you have someone else take this penalty kick. But no, no, Nani's got to take it. Yeah, I, the thing I love about Orlando City, well, I love two things about Orlando City right now. One, they're no longer in the playoffs. And two, uh, they're just, their games are bonkers. They, like, I, I can't, and like, I grant, I didn't watch a lot of Orlando City games this season, but no game that I watched was remotely normal. They played, they just play the most out of control soccer you can imagine. So I deeply appreciate them. Um, I'm also very glad we don't have to hear about how they, the resurrected team, yada, yada, yada. Um, totally agree with MJ. This was the clearest red card you've ever seen. It was late. It was spikes. The, <laughs> I always think in these situations, you know, if, if the top of your spike hits a guy's calf and the bottom hits his cleat, like, well, is that kind of a gray area? This was like low knee to mid calf. I mean, it was a horrendous tackle. In, and, and the referee is looking dead at it. Could not have had a better view. view. And the Orlando players swarm him. He probably had six players on him. Nani's grabbing him. Uh, 
I don't think DK was was one of them. The um, Daly was the other, like who was right in his face. And Junior, yeah, Junior Urso, Junior Urso, who's all I over him. Deeply dislike uh, for a player I've never like seen play in person. I just have a vehement dislike for Junior Urso. Um, replacing my former MLS nemesis Alexander Katai. So I, I needed one. So thank you, Junior Urso. Uh, just absolutely screaming at the referee for what was truly the most obvious call the ref had to make all game. Like right. there were, there were throw-ins that were less obvious than this. This was so clear. So that it just pisses me off. Like I hate the Manchester United, Orlando city, numerous other teams. Those are just kind of the, the first two that popped to mind. <laughs> Warm the referee and like, Okay, look, every team in Spain I could have named, but I didn't um, Like, swarm the referee and, like, what are you doing? Like, just get off him and get over yourself. So when Nani stepped up, and the penalty was was better than the one that Sean Johnson saved. It was a pretty solid penalty. Matt Turner's a big dude. Uh, and he got down really well to save that ball. I just yelled, ball, don't lie. Because Nani should have been off. Like you should not be able to grab referees that way. So I hope, I hope in the retrospective he gets an additional punishment. Just because I don't, I want to do everything possible to discourage that type of behavior. Yeah, uh, I believe Nani is four of his last nine uh, in PKs in MOS, which is uh, not good uh, for taking penalties. Not good at I all. Get it? for his leadership and for his celebrity, you give him the captain's armband, but someone needs to tell that guy, you're not our guy to pick TKs anymore. Right, right. But I it's had, also Orlando, so that probably won't happen. Yeah. I had not noticed, you know, it, Nani was so good in the MLS's back tournament. I mean, he was, he was revelatory. Yes, yeah. um, I had no idea how much he had faded. So this is courtesy of Matt Doyle on Twitter. Uh, in his first 16 games this season, Nani had six goals and six assists. In his last 10 games, he had three goals and no assists. Which is a, a trend from uh, the, the previous year. It was something like he had nine and eight, and then like he was like he was like like three and zero or something like that too. Like he, it's been it's been the last two years. He's been he's really faded in the second half of the season, which you know goes to show you need to manage uh, you need to manage your your designated players' minutes, especially when they are old ass men like Nani, who is. Uh, way younger than all any, I think any of us. So, uh, all right. So the other game that's happening is literally right now. They 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 just started extra time. Columbus Nashville is still zero zero. Uh, we will recap. I don't know. Recap's not a great word. We'll, we'll let you know what the score is eventually because we'll probably be, we'll still be recording when that one finishes up. Uh, and then the Seattle Sounders, other than us, Seattle Sounders and FC Dallas play tomorrow. Sorry, not tomorrow. Month or Tuesday night. Uh, at 8.30 p.m. Uh, out in Seattle. Uh, do you guys have any, any quick uh, thoughts? What you think Seattle's going to win? I mean, I mean, I assume we all think Seattle's probably going to win that game, but got to be super great if, if Nashville wins this game and then FC Dallas wins their game, and then whoever wins between us and FC Dallas, um, assuming we beat Sporting, would post the, uh, uh, the final. Uh, I'm, I've been so impressed with Nashville in this postseason, I, I thought Toronto had a legitimate shot of, of going deep. I, thought, I really liked that squad and Nashville bossed them. Toronto flat out didn't look like they had anything to give and Nashville bossed that game. Uh, Nashville also then became the only team, despite the, a, a high number of games that have gone into penalties to score an extra time. So, yeah. you know, kudos to them for that. But yeah, I mean, I think this has been, I think Nashville far more than Atlanta 
uh, in their expansion year has given the the roadmap for expansion teams to follow. Because sure, if you can if you can buy a bunch of really really expensive players, by all means, go ahead and do it, and 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 more power to you, really. But Nationals built this team really smart. I mean, they they built up from the back. I, I know we've talked about it in the past, so I won't extol their virtues. But you know, over the course of a playoffs, you got to do you've got to to have an identity and you've got to live it and nashville has they have not given up goals and they've been opportunistic so i full kudos to them austin st louis charlotte should be should be have, should look at what uh nashville did with their with their roster build and and really and take a hard look and god we could have had we fucking could have had dax mccarty guys <laughs> 2017 we could have had dax mccarty he was there. 2018. We could have had Dax. McCar- it was he was there for the taking. We just for an expansion draft. He was not protected. No, not, no. Sorry, not 2017. I, 2018. We could have. Or t- 2019. No, 2018. We could have had him. There's there was a, there was a there was an opportunity there where where he was available and we could have had him and we didn't get we didn't get him. So uh, Jeff Reuter Red wrote about it. It was just it's it's really frustrating. So uh, who you get? Do you guys who do you guys see in the Seattle FC Dallas game? Uh, obviously Seattle, right? Like, yeah, Seattle's gonna win. Uh, so we're going they're, to Seattle. They're hosting on their their oh. shitty NFL turf, and and if that's wet and rainy, no one plays on that shit better than them. And this is to take nothing away from their coach and their talent and the, how well they play as a, as a team. Like they're good. Um, I just feel like the home field gives gives them a, a little bit of an extra advantage. Maybe not as much as a a white dome and a bouncy <laughs> astroturf does for a baseball team, but it well, gives air, condition, air conditioning blowing out too. That's, don't forget. <laughs> air conditioning blowing well, out. How I miss the Metrodome. Only, only in the bottom half of the inning though. So, <laughs> so but Dan, I mean, obviously you think Seattle's going to win, right? Yeah, I, I go ahead, MJ. No, no, no. I, I, it's, this is free old Seattle. Unless someone wants to free me. Oh, fuck. Columbus just scored. Yeah, Columbus has scored. Um, yeah, this is this is Seattle. I won't belabor this too much because the, there's no point in spending half an hour on something we all agree on. Uh, the game against LAFC really underscored for me just how good Seattle is. If they don't beat themselves, which uh, Nuhu certainly made a good effort at doing in this game, <laughs> uh, they're really, really tough to beat. That attack, like... When, he, when Adrian Heath was talking about how good Lude, Reynoso, and Molino have been, saying, you know, that, that's probably the best attacking trio in the league, or certainly one of them, I, I don't think any of us immediately said, no, you absolute buffoon, you complete moron. Uh, but Seattle's got an equally good and probably better claim to that up top with Logiero, Rudy, Rui Diaz, and, and Jordan Morris. They are so, so good. And if you let them behind your midfield at all, they are going to punish you. Right on. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota United. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. Oh, yeah. All right. And we're back. 
Hey, so I want to apologize for something that happened right before the break. Uh, I talked about how good Nashville's defense was, and in the intervening 10 minutes, they've now given up two goals. So I feel like I should apologize to to Jamie Watson, Eric Miller, uh, and all the Nashville fans for just not just jinxing your team, but really getting deep and hexing them. Um, I promise that was not my intention, but accidents do happen. So uh, I just I want to clear the air on that, and I'm really sorry. Yeah. Video supervisor Brad Baker, that goes to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it went from uh, it went from a decent game game to uh, yeah, it's uh, probably uh, Nashville or sorry Columbus hosting uh, MLS Cup final. So with seven of their players out for COVID. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Jesus Christ, uh, man. All right, um, let's not talk about that. We can talk about that next week if we if we really really want to. Or maybe in the emergency podcast after we beat the Sporks, who we are playing on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time down in Kansas City. So odds of this game, uh, Kansas City is the favorite right now, uh, minus 162. Minnesota is a plus 425. Uh, Over-under is uh, three goals with the over being minus 105 and the under uh, being minus 125. And then, uh, Dan, I think you threw this in there, uh, the overall odds. Uh, MLS Cup odds, uh, plus twenty, plus two fifty for Kansas City. They also have the inside track to host MLS Cup uh, as the highest remaining seed. Uh, Minnesota United is at plus nine hundred. Uh, you want Dan? Do you want to talk about the disrespect here for uh, for Minnesota United? You know, we haven't talked about this quite as much in the last few weeks, but it was a, a mainstay of the MLS's back tournament and, and for sure the end of last season. Uh, but dis- disrespect, disrespect. Everyone knows that no one likes Minnesota United. Uh, the Realtors Association just can't wait for us to fail. And Vegas, this is just further indictment that Vegas does not believe in this team. Uh, this team that they refer to as as the team no one wants, and and they mean it. We we say it sarcastically, but Vegas means it. So this is clearly a sign that no one respects the loons. Right. So I mean, if you got some extra cash, uh, throw it on Minnesota United because they're going to win the whole goddamn thing. I was I was actually talking to uh, my wife uh, earlier this evening. We we're watching the. Um, actually watching the first half of the Columbus Nashville game. And I was like, this, if Minnesota is going to win something on the men's side, it's going to be uh, in the middle of December in an outside game where we can't have anybody be at the fucking stadium. That'd be <laughs> peak Minnesota, right? Like no one can be there. It's We have to all socially distance. We can't even be in, in the bars together to watch this thing because it'll still be in the middle of the of the of the bar sh- like shutdown, which again we should all be. I'm encouraging everybody to be socially distant and do all the things you need to do. But that would be the the most Minnesota way to win a fucking title, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no parade, no nothing. Right. Yeah. It would be it would be the most Minnesota way to win to win something. So, uh, so of course Minnesota is probably gonna go and go ahead and win the whole goddamn thing. So, in all serious, plus nine hundred. But so actually, in all seriousness, if I was going to bet on this, I would be putting some serious money on New England at plus uh, 1300. You know, these odds, they did not play well for most of the season because they were missing both Gustavo Bow and Carlos Heel. And having those guys makes a world of difference. Turns out, turns out having two potentially world-class players uh, makes your team better. I don't know if you guys know that. But Bruce Arena has clearly shown he knows how to navigate 
tournament play like this, they're they're firing on all cylinders. They are going to be a tough out. Yeah. So when right. you're saying that Vegas disrespects a team at plus thirteen hundred more than Minnesota United at plus nine hundred. Uh, no, there is, there is peripheral disrespect that oh. it's not, in, that's not included in the numbers. Correct. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. All right. Let's not, uh, let's stop dilly dallying about, uh, odds and, and Vegas and all that. And let's talk about this actual team that we're gonna have to play on Wednesday, Sporting Kansas City, uh, head coach Peter Vermees, who, as we've stated many times this year and in, in this podcast history, Loves, loves, loves being the shit out of Minnesota United. So, um, Dan, who, like, what should we look for for Sporting Kansas City and, you know, who should we look out for and all that? So, Sporting Kansas City, it ought to go without saying, uh, given that they're the number one team in the West, is very good. Uh, they came back from MLS's back, uh, not in great shape, um, didn't play particularly well. They really found their form throughout the season. They are 7-1-1 one, and one in their last nine. And since the return from the tournament, they have been shut out just once. It was by FC Dallas. So in the event that Dallas beats Seattle and, and Sporks overcome the loons, that'll be something to watch for. But I don't think either of those things is going to happen. So, uh, According to the Sporting Kansas City bloggers I was reading, that game didn't count because there was a, a horrible officiating decision that went against them. So so they actually haven't <laughs> lost the game at all This uh, and, and actually have not been shut out because that game didn't count. So, so and, which – Ahead, I didn't know that was a th- that was a thing. That's a thing. We can just take all the stats from the game because we didn't like the refs. According to yes, the, yeah. According to the bloggers that uh, that follow Sporting Kansas City, yes, yes, that is a thing. Uh, I'm I am frankly shocked that according to those sources, that Sporting Kansas City has ever lost a game, and right. maybe has in fact ever conceded a goal. Uh, in um, we love sports fans. This is not uh, a serious dig, but man, they get on refs really quick over there at Children's Mercy. Uh, children's mercy, no mercy for refs. So there's a there's a big temptation to draw some result, draw some conclusions from the last time these two teams played. Uh, I would recommend not doing that. The Loons, as we teased last week, had a highly rotated squad. Uh, Reynoso, Lude, and Molino all played in that game, but they started on the bench. Uh, and the Loons had zero shots on target. And uh, unless you can force the opposing team into a bunch of own goals, you do need at least one shot on target to win. Uh, again, I, I don't know if you guys know that one. Uh, players, I think it's worth watching. Uh, we have no idea what's going on with Alan Polito. Uh, so Polito uh, was out three to four weeks, three weeks ago. So wouldn't surprise me at all to see him in this game, particularly for like a second half cameo. Uh, the other player I'll shout out is Gianluca Busio, uh, who we've, we've talked about before. Uh, now 18, so you know, no longer a prospect, now an aged old man. Uh, clearly in the decline phase of his career. Uh, still a little bit positionless. Peter Vermees has moved him around quite a bit, but as Kansas City has done more with a press uh, in the second half of this season, Busio has become incredibly influential, um, really stepping up well, good field vision. He's also started taking set pieces for them, and he's really good at it. So uh, those are kind of the two two names to watch from me. MJ, who, uh, who do you want to shout out? I mean, Busio and who else? I took Polito. Oh, well, Kyrie Shelton and, uh, and I mean, I'll, okay, forget about Shelton. I'll focus on the defense like I like to. Uh, again, uh, Slovak Robert Kuncek, 
or uh, Croat Robert Puncek and uh, Spaniard Ilya Sanchez, center back and uh, defensive midfield. Um, they are no longer putting Beesler in that spot. Uh, they're giving it to Robert Puncek and they're putting a younger center back uh, Reed in there. Um, they also haven't been starting Graham Zusi. So that back line that was ancient and holy is a little bit more solidified now. And now that Sanchez is healthy and Busio can move from the number six to being more of an attacking pressing threat, it, they do not look as vulnerable on, on that back end. Uh, I mean, sure. I, I would disagree. Actually, I think honestly, I, I we definitely probably didn't even need to shout out any of their defense because their defense has been, especially that sport, that San Jose game was crap. And I, the one thing before I start, before I, cause I, you know, if you want to, MJ, if you want to talk about Kerry Shelton or Johnny Russell or Gerso, please, by all means, like knock yourself out. I think they're good. All, they're all good. They're all decent attacking players. Roger Espinosa, um, loves to play against Minnesota specifically. Uh, he's also, you know, not, uh, not to- fully, uh, fully out of it yet. And would not surprise me if he tries to go hard into Babelo early in the game to, uh, you know, show him what's up. Um, however, the, their defense has, is, is dramatically bad. Um, and you watch the game against sport, uh, San Jose. Yeah, it was bad. You're right. It was, it was legitimately bad. And, and that's, but even, even still, I, I would I would give them a, maybe a bit of a pass on that one just because San Jose plays. I think they're you know Matias Almeida has that weird style that he plays that apparently only Minnesota knows how to defend against. Um, and however, a, a team that Sporting Kansas City has played multiple times this year and later in the year that gave them a lot of trouble that plays a lot like Minnesota United, Houston Dynamo. Uh, Houston Dynamo went in. And early in early in the MLS is back is back the the post MLS is back tournament uh, phase of the game beat Kansas City a couple times pretty handedly um, playing a lot of the same way that Minnesota United wants to play and that is because the um, Kansas City is not quick and Minnesota is definitely going to uh, you know take use their counter press to make this thing happen um, Minnesota if if if, if Sporting Kansas City can get over that press and get into the Minnesota's back line, um, as we talked about in the first part of the podcast, like there's a legitimate argument to be made that, you know, it's it's not as good, especially now with Aikopara, Um And it could cause a lot of problems. And to be fair, Colorado just didn't execute because they, they got in on goal a couple times, right? And it was just they just had p- poor, poor finishing terrible luck, whatever you want to call it. So there's a, a legitimate reason to, to be worried a little bit about that. But, you know, if Minnesota runs out the same lineup with the sort of the the one caveat, I think would be like Metnir plays on the right back. Sonny Dotson slides into that Hairston spot in the central midfield, in the midfield. And or Ozzy Alonso is back to play a full, a full 90, which, you know, who knows if that is, if he's capable of doing that. This uh, this could be a uh, again I think this could be a very high scoring three three four three kind of game, um, and I think it's it's important to point out that you know the the one the one good part of their defense is Tim Malia, who 
made some amazing saves to keep Sporting Kansas City in that game against San Jose, right? Including saving a, a, a Wondolowski sitter at the death of reg, of regular time, right? Of the the, the full the full ninety, uh, San Jose almost won it in ninety minutes uh, with a Tim Malia or with a Chris Wondolowski header. And who knows if they if if Pusio uh, would have scored that goal um, if San Jose was up, you know, three to three to two or whatever at the time. But uh, you know, Tim Malia has been the 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 bulwark back there and you know again it's i just think it's a this maybe gets into how should we play them but i think we should also talk about tim Alia a little bit too is Gotti kinda out he, i know he's out do we know why does he have corona no and uh he came on as a sub at the end of yeah the game well, against san jose he's, he's healthy again now he is yeah uh yeah, he's trouble too. He is. Um, cooled off a little bit after a hot start, but definitely one United will need to watch out for. Yeah, yeah, he came in for Busio in the yeah the ninety eighth minute of the of the match or whatever. So, uh, all right. So with that being said, how should we play them? MJ, let's let's start with you. How would if you were Adrian Heath? How would you line up against uh, Sporting Kansas City and? You know, obviously, we, I think we're going to assume that we're playing the same, more or less the same lineup as uh, last week um, with maybe, again, either ha- uh, Hassani or Ozzy in that sixth role with uh, with the Andre Goose. If Ozzy starts, you get Ozzy to get into an MMA fight with Roger Espinoza early. You get them both red cards, both sent off. And I guarantee you that if that happens, Minnesota will adapt to 10 on 10 soccer way better than sporting Kansas city. Um, especially if he has this in his game plan, he knows it's going to happen from the, from the get go. It's one way to do it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> on a serious note, we need to possess the ball and not always try to play out the back in tight spaces, but, We've seen this team become more comfortable having the ball, patiently passing back to Dane St. Clair, having one of the central midfielders come back and help with breaking the ball out and releasing the pressure of the press. And we've seen Minnesota United just be more comfortable having the ball with possession. The less time that Sporting Kansas City can have the ball will be to our better because our attacking front four is no longer like way worse than Sporting Kansas City's front four. Um, we can attack, we can interplay and have those cuts and passes with Reynoso and score goals. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I mean, my pipe dream, a la uh, red carding Roger Espinosa, would be. Uh, getting Tim Melia to get another red card that seemed to work really, really well last time. <laughs> uh, um, so uh, whatever, whatever they need to do to, to get that to happen um, on, a more, on a more serious note, uh, the weakness of this team is their back four, um, which is not to say that they're bad. They're just less good than the attack. So I think it's going to be critical for Minnesota United to figure out a way to really get in get stuck in against that back four and you can kind of do it one of two ways if they're comfortable passing the ball over the top 
that's certainly an option. Uh, alternatively, Reynoso is incredibly good at finding the little spaces um, in between the lines. I think if Minnesota United wins this game, it's because Robin Lude scores one, maybe two goals, because he's the type of player that Reynoso can find from about the midline, cut a pass between skipping two or three defenders, and Lude, as long as Lude starts on the right, he's lethal. So I think that's that's the type of action we'll need to see. Um, honestly, part of me wants to to sit back and soak up pressure and then counterattack when Kansas City overcommits their wings, but it's so dangerous, particularly if you get a player like Polito uh, or if Kinda starts. They're both such technical players that giving them a bunch of ammunition feels like you're eventually going to get shot. So uh, I think MJ is right. I think, I think possessing the ball far more than we typically do at children's mercy. And I think the number one thing is being ruthless. Uh, we saw this team against Dallas, multiple games against Dallas uh, and against Colorado. Most recently, they look dominant when they take their chances so if Minnesota does what they did against Colorado and gets four chances, they had damn better score either three or four goals. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you guys, and I kind of have a different opinion. I think – so Minnesota has never gone down to Kansas City, to Children's Mercy Park, and enforced our will. I think we absolutely need to go down there and enforce our will. And by enforcing our will, I mean, I don't actually think we need to possess the ball. We need to do the counter pressing things that we did against Colorado, where we forced them to make turnover, to make errors, right? How many times like the, the first Kevin Molina goal was based, which is pressure by Minnesota. Uh, and they stole the ball off of uh, Colorado when in Kevin Molina scored that first goal, right? We need to do that. We need to do that. We need to, and, we need to trust our defense, right? That, that Boxel, Debassi, Gasper, and Metnir are going to be able to, to, to sweep things up. And, and, and yes, we're probably going to give up a goal, maybe two. I think we definitely need to go into this game. If Adrian Heath goes into this game and is not expecting to score three or four goals, like the, to win the game, I think we are going to lose this game easily. But like, yeah, it's going to be, it won't even be an, a, a contest, right? I think we'll get the, the floor wipe with us. If we go in this game thinking, you know what? Probably going to give up two or, you know, one or two. We are going to score three. We are going to score three goals. And we're going to do that by like forcing Kansas City's defenders to make mistakes, uh, to try and pass the ball out of the back. They're Kansas City. The way Kansas City plays, they are, they want to, as soon as the ball turns over um, from Minnesota to them, they want to attack, right? So they're, they're trying to do that counter as well, right? So they're going to be, and the, the goal for Minnesota, I think, needs to be uh, Ray Doso, um, Molino playing some defense uh, in uh, in Kansas City's half, right, and forcing turnovers, um, not letting them get those balls over the over the midfield, and it, like ideally you have Ozzy there um, who can play back and play in that six and sort of help sweep things up, um, but if it's not Ozzy Hassani. I really think needs to stay, stay back a little bit and, and uh, help the, you know, Boxel and Debassi shield them, take care of, of anything that sort of goes over the top. Because I think the only way that we can beat Kansas city, especially down in, in Kansas city is by forcing them to turn the ball over in their half of the pitch. And ideally in their, in their sort of that sort of, you know, 
um, in between their their third and, and the the middle third of the of the pitch. So I think that's what Minnesota needs to do. And I think they have the the personnel to do it. I definitely think with Reynoso, Molino, if Molino plays like he did uh, against Colorado, where we said that might have been the best like defensive Molino game that we've seen because he was forced to turnovers in Colorado's half of the field, right? Molino plays like that. Reynoso plays like that. You know, Lou's attacking. Um, and to your to your point, I think Lou needs to be on his best game uh, for this for this actually to work. I think Minnesota has a has a good shot of winning this game. Yeah, I, uh, sorry, MJ. Um, the biggest difference to me with this game, as opposed to literally any other time we've gone down to Children's Mercy, is it feels like Minnesota has a path to victory. It isn't just, well, if uh, there's accidentally, you know, uh, two Kansas City players murder each other on the way to the, the game, you know, like there's a real serious path for Minnesota United winning this game. And I think that is so different. Um, and the other different, big different thing is not about Minnesota reacting to what Kansas City does. It's about Minnesota doing their game, playing the way that they can play, the way that they play at Allianz in front of the Wonderwall, they need to play like that um, in in Kansas uh, against Kansas City, right? Like we've – so one of my biggest frustrations with Adrian Heath is that he just like sort of concedes those away games. And I get that in like a – in a regular season, uh, you don't – you need to rest players, you need to do all that. Um, you can't really necessarily like impose your will all the time on every single team that you play, right? Like not even Liverpool or Man City – or, you know, man use of the, of the past and arsenals of the past, like do that all the time, right? Just impose their will. Sometimes you need, to, you need to play to your opponent. Maybe you rest some guys and you can play a different way. Minnesota needs to go down to Kansas City and fucking uh, impose their will. They haven't, beat, they haven't beaten Kansas City in, uh, in Kansas City in, I, God, I want to say it's been almost eight years. I think 2012 was the last time in an Open Cup match. Uh we need to we need to go down there and impose and fucking impose our will upon them. Did did I know we beat Kansas City in the Open Cup run last season? Was that not at Children's Mercy? I think that was up here, but I could what be missing. Okay. Either way, in in an in, in an MLS game or in a yeah, I guess that I should, was up here. It okay. was up here. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, we haven't beaten Kansas City in Kansas City in a long fucking time, and it, it's so it, it really is. I think, and I think we ha- we have. And the other thing I want to, I just want to point out too, and then um, I know MJ has had has a couple questions too, a couple points. Um, we actually have the, the personnel to do it, right? We in in the last several years, if you would if you'd say, okay, we got to go down and impose our will upon uh, Kansas City, I'd have laughed you out of the fucking uh, the fucking room, right? There's no way we could have done it. We actually have the personnel to do what we need to do in terms of opposing our will, playing our kind of game at Kansas City. So. And to that end, just really quick before we jump in with MJ, I, this is not a referendum on Adrian Heath, but this is the type of game that a coach can win for you. If Adrian Heath really fires these guys up and really gets them to play together, that's that's what it's going to take for them to win. Um, I if he if, if he I'm not going to say dispirits them because I don't think he's going to like actively be malignant in the locker room, but if he can't do that, it just becomes a lot more difficult. All right, MJ, hit it. I just want to say I totally agree with both of your points, David. 
this game will be about who imposes their will. Can Minnesota play their style of game? And is they both defensively and offensively can impose those wills on Kansas City? Or is it going to look like their front attacking six or sporting are going to come out flying and they are imposing their will left and right on, on Minnesota United? And that's what this game is about. And I also read, to your point, Dan, this is the game that a co- your coach can help significantly change the game for the better. And if we see that in that first half where Kansas City is imposing more of their will, I will be interested to see if this sort of gradual progression of Adrian Heath learning how to adapt if he can make some subs or change formation or at least give some different directions on how to play to attack different weak points, that'll be very interesting. But my question is, assuming Metanera is healthy, so Dotson is available elsewhere, assuming Metanera is, is, is healthy and is available at, at right back, and I guess kind of assuming Ozzy is not starting, that he, he, he's maybe coming off the bench. Who do you put with Jan Gregush in, in another spot for central, central midfield? Yeah, if Alonso isn't available, I still think you put Dots in there. Um, I know he has a little bit of that proclivity to get too far forward, sucked into the attack, uh, maybe in a way that you wouldn't necessarily want from a six. Uh, the trade-off there is... He's super athletic. His ability to get back and make those recovery runs, I think, is going to be super important. So if Ozzy is 85% or above, I would start him and ask him to give us as much as he's got, assuming he's comfortable with that, obviously. But if he's not on the table, I think it's still Dotson for me. Yeah, I agree with you. Oh, go ahead, David. I was going to say 100% Dotson. Um all the exact same points he can track back he's he's a lot quicker in tracking back than than harrison is and we saw uh against colorado like colorado went after marlon harrison uh and in two great into fairly decent effect i mean they weren't able to actually finish what they needed to do dotson i don't think allows them allows kansas city to do that as much i think they'll still try to attack him but i think he has the recovery speed and um, yeah, again, this sort of goes back to, to Dan's point. If, if Ozzy can give you, I would even say 75%, you, 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 you put out Ozzy as much as, he, as you possibly can. If he needs to come off in, in the 70th minute, then that's fine. But um, yeah, I would even drop it down to, yeah, 70 or 75% Ozzy. I'd throw him out there and with knowing that maybe you have to bring Dotson in. But Dotson would be my, um, if Ozzy can't go a full 90 or can't go, say, 70 minutes or 65 minutes, then I would, I would throw Dotson out there uh, in a heartbeat. If I were managing this team, I agree 100%. You put Dotson out there, assuming you move Gregus to the left, as like he did with Marlon Harrison, and you allow Dotson to track forward more, and Gregus hangs back a little more. However, I'm not managing this team, and I think if Ozzy can't start, I think he goes with what's familiar and just – the improvement of Marlon Harrison, I think he goes with Greg Ush and Harrison because they have the chemistry. I guess the other X factor is that uh, Corey Hayes also came off the bench in the Colorado game and has been pretty effective in central midfield. So it isn't even just 
what do you, why what do, you do if, if Ozzy's there? I mean, you could really take uh, either either Hairston Hayes or Dodson. All right. Well, let's. Uh, who's who's wins this game? Um, MJ, let's start with you. Are, are we not going to take the the fight question? We can. Okay, let's do the, the fight question. Dan, <laughs> set up your fight question. Let's, we're going to be. Let's be really quick with this one, though. Yeah, super quick. So let's say uh, let's say Zeller's right, and Espinosa goes in hard and late on Babelo, gets a red. There's some pushing and some shoving, and things really pop off. And uh, you know everybody's kind of squaring up somebody, and Inchi and Vermees decide that they're going to drop gloves and go at it. Who wins that fight? I say Vermees give, gives a, a jab and then a cross, and and then he keeps out. But that's just me. Dan, uh, look, Vermees has got the reach, but I think that there's like a, an unbridled fury inside of Inchi, and I don't, I don't I, like Vermees can hit Inchi as much as he wants. I think Inchi gets up every time and finishes Vermees off. You guys, you guys seen that movie Snatch? Yeah, yeah. Fucking Adrian Heath wins that fight. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He does whatever he needs to do. He 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 will he'll bite someone in the dick to win a fight. Uh, they're about they're about the same age, right? Like they're they're you know obviously Peter Vermees is I think a much more fit, and uh, and he definitely has the reach that, than Inchi does. But yeah, P- Peter Vermees, uh, Adrian Heath is one of those guys. Uh, I don't know. I've been in a, a several fights in my day, and I am uh, this. I don't necessarily like uh, comparing myself to Adrian Heath, but I'm a scrapper, and I've not lost. I've been in several fights. I haven't lost many fights that I've been in. So you find ways to win, and you know, and forwards, 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 you know, masters of the dark arts. They they know they figure out what they need to do to to win a fight. So I think I think I agree with Dan. I think Adrian Heath wins that fight. Um, I don't think I think Peter Vermees probably gets a lick or two in, but I think ultimately, uh, when all is said and done, uh, Adrian Heath is the one who's walking away, and Peter Vermees is the one who's uh, uh, you know cradling his dick because Adrian Heath bit him in his dick. All right, now let's get to the actual point. Uh, who wins the game? MJ, we'll start with you. Sporks win uh, two to one. All right, Dan? This breaks my heart, but the Sporks do win 4-3. Four, 4-3, three. Four, three. Jesus Christ. You know what, guys? Someone's got to be the optimist on here. I think uh, Minnesota United loses an extra time. Three to. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I think Minnesota United wins this game. I, I think this is the best we've never had a better team going down to Kansas city in, in the entire time I've watched Minnesota United. I think if we're going to break the curse against Kansas city down in Kansas, why, why the fuck not now? Right. This goes back to my whole, my, my, my theory earlier that like, of course, Minnesota is going to win MLS cup because no one can be there. No one can watch it. And we're cursed as fans, uh, as Minnesota sports fans. I think Minnesota United wins this game. I think they win this game three to one. Uh, I think we get a, a late goal, but I think Robin Lude steps up and we go to Seattle to play Seattle uh, next uh, next Sunday. And we're doing a emergency podcast on Thursday or Friday to to preview that game. So that is my that's my breakdown. Someone's got to be the optimist on here. I like Absolutely. It. I can't believe you guys made me be the fucking optimist, though. That's <laughs> really, really frustrating. All right. Uh, what's, we got a few world soccer topics I want to touch quickly. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we like to try to wrap this one up a little bit earlier. 
than we normally do. Um, obviously, if you are a soccer fan, you knew that Diego Maradona passed away uh, from complications to a surgery after a heart attack that he had. Uh, do you guys? Do you, do you guys have any Maradona? I mean, I don't. I I very vaguely remember watching Maradona in the nineteen ninety four World Cup. Obviously, I've seen a bunch of shit online and all the amazing like warm up trolls that he did and, and the dribbles and all that. And I've seen the hand of God goal and all that. Uh, MJ, you're a little bit older than both of us. Do you uh, actually have any Diego Maradona memories? No, I don't because I actually started watching soccer very late in my life. Mm. So even though I am significantly older than both of you, I did not get into soccer until kind of 2009 ish. Okay. So I don't have any watching Diego Maradona live. It was more hearing about the hand of God and people like, what? You've never, you, you don't know about the hand of God goal? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? You know, it's, it's kind of learning second, third hand. Fair enough. Dan? Uh, no, I certainly never saw him play. I think the most touching tribute I saw to him was uh, Leo Messi. Uh, after he scored his goal today, took off the Barca jersey and, and was wearing Maradona's Newell's Old Boys number 10. It was just a very, very cool moment. It was also one hell of a goal. And I think that was an authentic jersey. I think that might have been one of like one of the jerseys that he wore during that season. Yeah, I think it, I think it was. Yeah. Um, the, the only funny, the, like the, there's obviously lots of, Diego Maradona is a, is a, uh, is a character in, uh, in soccer around the world. Uh, I was just looking at reading some of the stories that were, that came out this weekend. And I think one of my favorite ones was uh, there was a, uh, it was a story on vice where they were interviewing uh, I think Liam Gallagher for a story uh, about Oasis or whatever. And they told us, he told a story about meeting Maradona. Uh, I don't even remember when it was, Uh, I'm blanking on it, but basically Liam and Noel were at a club. Maradona was there. They're obviously big soccer fans, right? They wanted to go meet Maradona. Um, there's some going back and forth with the translator and all that. And uh, and Maradona, then all of a sudden, basically, the story also was like Maradona threatened to shoot Liam and Noel Gallagher if they if he if they went after any of the women that were partying with Maradona, who apparently was like doing doing soccer tricks with like a like a a beer bottle in the middle of a dance floor, like <laughs> in the upstairs of this club. It was this amazing, amazing story. <laughs> I, I linked it. I, I tweeted at the Minnesota football show uh, about it and, and, and linked it there. Um, find that. Uh, and then there's a, he has a really great story about meeting the Pope. MJ, you want to, you want to read that quote that he had? So he was meeting the Pope and I don't know what Maradona was ex- expecting because the Pope probably only brings one rosary to a service or a meeting, but Maradona was expecting that celebrity to celebrity he was going to get a special rosary and it didn't happen so then because he didn't get a special rosary like when he's being interviewed he's now has this chip on his shoulder and is super upset he says i've been to the vatican and seen the gold ceilings and then i hear the pope saying that the church was concerned about poor kids so sell the ceilings you've got nothing going for you you were only a goalkeeper. <laughs> That's great. Which to me embodies the paradox of Diego Maradona. 
being very class conscious and someone for the people, but as a celebrity expecting special treatment from the Pope. Right. <laughs> Rest in power, Diego Maradona. That guy was a, that guy was a, uh, he was a fun, he was a fun, a fun person to kind of, I just remember the, 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 when he was coaching in uh, the second division of the of league MX and he just like fell asleep during the middle of an interview. Like the guy was, the guy was definitely uh, worth, he had a lot of stories and a lot of stories about him. So, uh, all right. Uh, next little bullet point here. EPL soccer is fucking stupid. Um, gentlemen, I will give us, I'll give you each a minute to, to rant about your team. If you want, uh, does someone want to go first? I will rant about that. There are tier one, tier two. and right, Hold tier on. Three. Stop. All right. Three, two, one. Go, MJ. Everton should have imposed their will on Leeds United. And Marco uh, Marcel Bielsa said, nah. And they lost. Damn it. Is that it? You still have 40, 42 seconds. Oh, I love the tier one, tier two, tier three thing that uh, you have 4,000 fans if your infection rates in tier one. You could have, you know, 2,000 fans in Tier 2. and Tier 3, you could have no fans. Imagine if college football in the United States did that same thing. <laughs> hey, on the bright side, both Everton and Liverpool and Arsenal can uh, can have 2,000 fans uh, starting in December. It's true. So that's good. Uh, all right, Dan, three, two, one, go. Uh, the less said about Arsenal, the better right now. They They lack an identity. Um, I think fatigue has really hit this team hard, but I think also Michael Arteta is just not managing the team particularly well. Um, you know, we, we saw this team, basically the same collection of players, well, maybe even slightly worse, play pretty well at the end of last season, enough to get a lot of fans excited. And so far this year, Arsenal is not scoring goals. They aren't defending well enough not to score goals. So it's just kind of been one thing after another. Um, been a pretty depressing season so far so yeah i i see the rest of my time and we'll all just sit here in silence and think about how Michael arteta can be so unbelievably attractive and play such unattractive football very good all right um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'll probably try and do 30 seconds because i i I think i I would like to have a a very quick discussion about klopp and i don't want to talk about klopp in my discussion about liverpool soccer club why do you get an extra bit about your coach because he was kind of a fucking asshole this weekend. So, um, so yeah, he deserves okay. it. You get that if I get if I get to talk about it too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I think we all get to discuss it. Uh, Dan and I had a, a conversation, a very brief conversation about it on Twitter. Uh, as a matter of fact, on Saturday morning. So, um, all right, three, two, one, go. Um, I just don't understand VAR and how VAR uh, is working. I the. The penalty notwithstanding, when several players on the team say that was a soft penalty or that wasn't a pen, and then they give the pen, uh, just seems weird, just seems odd. Uh, the fact that I don't understand how basically Mohamed Salah's toe being like four or five inches uh, over a line gives him any sort of advantage when and and not just most solid but any player like that right any any uh thing um it just seems crazy bonkers i saw a really great tweet was basically like liverpool have they have eight var decisions have gone against them um 
that's more that's like double any other team in in the in the EPL. I don't know. I'm just it's fucking weird. All right, that's my time. Being dicks to reps. Yeah. Sorry. That's that's the end of my time. So I will. I'm not gonna say anymore. Uh, all right. Netherlands played the U.S. Women's National Team. U.S. Women's National Team played their first match in quite a long time. Uh, 2-0 USA. Uh, Rose Lavelle, amazing, amazing strike. And then uh, Christy Mewis getting back on the score sheet seven years after her first. So this is her second U.S. Men's, or US Women's National Team goal. Um, she, her first was over seven years ago. And she got back into the into the fold with the U.S. Women's National Team and, uh, and scored a goal. So, um I watched most so of the, the pass from Lynn Williams to Christy Christy Mewis was phenomenal because it was at a kind of goofy angle. It was yeah. the perfect weight and it was the perfect angle. Lynn Williams was cutting from her right to the left and then kind of passed it straight forward, but a little bit back to the right. So back to where she was coming from. It was it was a very, very clever pass. And the Netherlands actually had, in a Netherlands very fashion, 62% of the possession. Yeah. And they were pressing the United States. And were it not for Julie Ertz, their press probably would have worked more often than not. But they were giving the United States problems on the back end of things. Yeah, and it's worth noting that uh, Vivian Amidema, the best player for the Netherlands, and arguably the best player in the world right now was not playing in this game. So one of the issues is the Netherlands had a ton of possession. They didn't quite look like they had an, an attacking edge. And yeah, when you're missing probably the best women striker in the world right now, funny, that kind of makes your team worse. Yeah. Uh, and she yeah. and Vendedonk work so well together. So even yeah. though you look and say, well, they had Vendedonk, they had uh, Spitza, you know, they were missing that other piece. Right. Right. Uh, with the win, uh, Vlako Anonofsky, the, the new U.S. Women's National Team coach, uh, he's 11-0-0, which is the, the best start for a women's national team coach uh, in U.S. Women's National Team history. So um, good on him. The team, I mean, obviously, yes, uh, losing, you know, not having Yenema makes a ton of difference for the Netherlands. This team looked very, very good defensively, too, though, which I think is not something – that has been a defining characteristic of the U.S. Women's National Team in the last several years. Um, they definitely can attack to to you know all hell. Um, they have been lucky. They have some amazing amazing goalkeepers, and um, you know Hope Solo and and all those. But that's not been their de- defining characteristic. I think Vlaco, who was a really good uh, defensive coach in the um, NWSL, I think is trying to reestablish defensive identity for the U.S. Women's National Team, which makes them even more dangerous uh, on the national and the international stage. So, uh, all right. So we have a couple other things. Uh, U.S. Men's National Team announced today that they're playing a friendly against El Salvador uh, on December 9th. So in uh, just a few days, uh, like less than a week, less than two weeks from now, I'm guessing this is going to be obviously, obviously an all MLS uh, call-up lineup with presumably none of the players from um who are playing in the final on the 12th. So theoretically, if Minnesota is eliminated, you might see Chase Gasper and Sonny Dotson in this camp. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on the international friendly? Not no. so much. No. <laughs> right. Tell Salvador should win. If we don't win like six to nothing, it's probably, you know, 
whatever. Uh, and then uh, we had some we had some goals in Berlin. Uh, I watched part of this game. I watched the first like half of this game. Um, so the first half, Frankfurt three. Berlin scores in the second minute and the sixth minute, and then right. you know, eventually la- later in the half, Frankfurt tie the game two two. It goes, and then. I believe it was the 79th minute that Frankfurt took the lead 3-2, and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And then Berlin, Union Berlin scored 82nd minute to tie it up 3-3. Bonkers. Yeah, there was a uh, – Union's been a, been a fun watch this year. This is ostensibly the uh, – Union Berlin is the ostensibly uh, the, the German uh, – the Bundesliga soccer team of the of the Dave's I Know podcast. Um they were sitting in the, uh, or actually, no, yeah, they, they were sitting in the Europa spot before this match. Uh, Wolfsburg um, jumped ahead of them, but they're sitting in sixth place on 16 points after nine matches. So uh, good on Union Berlin. Uh, and then finally, uh, Jurgen Klopp. Oh, sorry, sorry uh, MJ. Uh, Berlin Derby, uh, Hertha and Union is, uh, plays, plays on this weekend, December, or, sorry, on Friday. Same day as Dark Clouds Auction. Yeah, in the afternoon. The, the, it, it, yeah, it's in the afternoon. It's, it's early in the day. Um, and the, they they won the, the the home leg. So now they're going away, away to Hertha, to, to West Berlin. And, West, and uh, Hertha isn't doing so well. So hopefully they can get a, a, a win away. Um, they, what, they won. They haven't played the first leg of this this year. I thought they did. Oh, that was last. It must have been last year. Okay. Anyways, ESPN Plus one thirty. If you want to watch the uh, the Berlin Derby, um, Hertha and, and Union. All right, and then finally, uh, Jurgen Klopp. Um, so I'll set this up, and then Dan, I, I think I'm going to throw this to you because you made some great points about this, and and uh, I don't want my uh, Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp bias to to cloud it uh, after the match. So. Obviously, Liverpool um, drew with Brighton uh, and Hove and Hove Albion um, one one on Saturday morning, uh, early ass game for us in the U.S. It was a, the twelve thirty uh, kickoff in England. Uh, late, late, late VAR penalty uh, gave Brighton a, a shot, and they scored. Uh, they had missed a penalty early in the game. Neil Bompe had pushed one wide against Allison. Um, obviously. Liverpool had a goal called back, uh, the Mosala goal, as well as a second one. Uh, so lots of just lots of VAR stuff in this game. And then this is a very heavily rotated squad. Uh, Liverpool had already lost earlier in the week against Atlanta um, at home uh, at Anfield with a heavily rotated squad. They they rotated the squad again heavily. And then of course there was injuries in this game as well. This was Liverpool has been been it's been I, I don't want to say you know hard done by things because they're an amazing team with amazing players and, you know, they've done a lot of really great stuff in the last several years. And, you know, I know that there's several, there's plenty of people in the world who would love to have the luck that Liverpool has had. Um, there sort of seem to be hard done by injury bugs and, and the VAR seems to be kicking their asses here, particularly the uh, times of matches has been one of Klopp's big uh, arguments as well as not having five subs for England uh, EPL matches, they have five subs in the Champions League. Uh, he used four uh, on the week on the uh, midweek at, on Wednesday against Atlanta. 
And then obviously he hadn't rotated a squad heavily for this match against Brighton. Um, so he's railed on about that. He's railed on about the fact that they played on Wednesday, the, the Wednesday evening game in, in England, and then they had their first game on Saturday morning. Uh, he's railed against the broadcasters, BT and Sky, for picking Liverpool, and not just Liverpool. And, and to his credit, and, and I think this is goes, should go without saying, is like several of the teams that are playing in Europe have expressed the same of the, some of the similar concerns, maybe not as vociferously as Klopp has this last year, um, but he definitely is the one who's sort of out front and center um, making the statements. He had an uh, after the match with the BT reporter, Des Kelly, they had the, the one-on-one interview and it got pretty, pretty contentious. Uh, Klopp more or less accused Des Kelly of uh, causing James Milner to get a hamstring injury um, because they were playing the early game on Saturday. Um, I think another thing that should go, like, that should be noted is like, I think there's been stories about Des, like Des Kelly has relayed stories about him, him Klopp hanging out. And I think Klopp and Des Kelly respect and appreciate one another. So I think there's, I think there's, uh, I think Des Kelly is able to sort of dig a little deeper and Klopp's okay with being a little more open. I think if it's someone he doesn't know, he's probably not as open and as aggressive as he is. Um, but I'll leave it. You can watch the, you can watch the interview. I'll leave with saying like Klopp uh, kind of lit into a reporter, uh, just a punt, just the guy who was asking the questions. And I think he was poking the bear a little bit. And I think in the bear sort of took a swat at him. So Dan, I'll, I'll let it, I'll leave it to you now. Yeah. My issue with this is, is none of the underlying issues. I think Jurgen Klopp is making excellent points. I think part of the, drawback of being a successful team is you're always going to be somewhat beholden to the TV schedules and you're always going to be in Europe. And that's, that's just reality. I mean, Chelsea is fighting the same things, Manchester United, Arsenal, even the Spurs, whatever. So I Klopp is a hundred percent, right. It is also sort of being a victim of their own success. My issue here, and and you're right. He did straight up accuse Des Kelly of, of hurting James Milner's hamstring. I think the exact quote was, it's a hamstring. Congratulations to you. Like, it made it sound like he, like this reporter had gone in with a knife and like slipped Milner's hamstring. So look, my issue, my issue with this is pretty much the same issue I have with people yelling at customer service reps or harassing brands on Twitter, which is the person you're actually harassing can't do jack shit about it. Like all they can do is sit there and take it because of the power imbalance. And like, I, I like Jurgen Klopp. I respect Jurgen Klopp a lot. If this were uh, Tony Poulos from Stoke, who I think very little of as a matter like, however little you think I think of Tony Poulos, it's way less. I think that that guy fucking sucks. If he did this, I'd point and laugh and call him a jackass. But the reason that I'm angry at Jurgen Klopp is he's better than this. And I get that he's frustrated, but taking it out on someone who has literally no ability to affect the situation just diminishes you. And and it made me really frustrated. So I hope Klopp does the right thing and comes out in his next press availability, which I assume is midweek, and apologizes and says, you know, I, I took it out on this guy and... You know, look, they, if they have a great relationship, he may have shot him a text and said, hey, kind of, you know, sorry about that. But you do this in public, you apologize in public. But it been in private, you apologize in private. So that's that's where I come down on this is if I didn't think so highly of Jurgen Klopp as a coach and as a football representative, I wouldn't care. But I do. So I do. Yeah. MJ? 
I just think it's hilarious that he's bringing up not that they should have moved the game from Saturday to Sunday since they played the Wednesday midweek Champions League. That I mean, that's something the Premier League could do. And he said is, is complaining about, you know, two hours here or there about having the earliest game on Saturday. And I thought that was just splitting hairs ad absurdum. That as, as if they had those extra two hours of rest, that would make a big difference in preventing injuries. Just don't play Europe, David. You know, if Klopp doesn't like it, just don't play Champions League. All right, all right. I can see you're, you're telling you're not being you're not being uh, uh, faithful to the argument here, so that's fine. Um, definitely can just mute your mic if we need to. So, uh, and legitimately, I you know I, again I I and I I said this when we were chatting on Twitter. I, I definitely think he needs to apologize. Like I like, I think he had the right message. I think he had the the wrong person to deliver deliver it to. And and he is. I think Klopp is frustrated too. Um, Chris Wilder came out in his availability the day before for, you know, Sheffield and basically sort of called Klopp selfish for wanting five subs. And, you know, there was, there's not, there, there's not a ton, not a ton of the talk about, about that comment. And, and, and Chris Wilder and his comments about that, like Klopp, I think Klopp is, and Klopp has been consistent with his, uh, that he, that he understands that yes, a team like Liverpool, which is way deeper, um, probably has more of an advantage when it comes to five subs than a team like Sheffield United. However, there is no team, I think, more ravaged by injuries right now than Liverpool. Um, so they don't really necessarily, I don't think, have, and that's not even, that's neither, that's not the point. I, I don't even want to argue that because it's neither here nor there, right? Like, it's not about having an advantage in terms of bringing on other players. It's about making sure that you can keep the players that you want on the, on the pitch on the pitch. And so I think there's I think there's a couple of different arguments that are happening there, and I think Klopp is is it's maybe maybe losing the plot a little bit when it comes to trying to make I think he's trying to make too many arguments. What might be my uh, assessment of it, right? He's he has three or four different compelling things that that he's arguing for, and he keeps maybe conflating one or two, or he keeps using the wrong ones at the wrong time. So um, either way, I I don't I think he's right. I think. You know, I think he's he's obviously the best Liverpool manager ever in my lifetime, um, as I've especially since I've been following uh, Liverpool, uh, you know, for the last eighteen years or so. Um, but again, as I mentioned, like certainly, I don't want to say the wrong time, but definitely the wrong person got the brunt of his uh, of his ire on Saturday. So. Jurgen Klopp, if you are listening to this podcast, which I really hope you are, please, 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 <laughs> uh, if you know, if you are a Liverpool front office person, get this pol- uh, podcast to Jurgen Klopp. He can come on anytime, but definitely he should apologize to Des Kelly um, for sure. So, uh, all right, guys, any any anything else that we missed that we want to want to discuss really quickly, or do we do we make it to the end of the podcast? I think uh, I think we've hit everything. We've established who would win in a coach fight. We've scorned someone who won't listen. I've established that I dislike Stoke. That's really on my agenda. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
guys. Eric Grady is a is a big Stoke supporter, so he'll he'll love this. I know, I know. But I don't I think I don't think he's a, a fan of the manager either in the direction of the club. So, <laughs> all right. So 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 great podcast. Uh, a A one positive podcast. Uh, guys, thank you so much for for listening. We always appreciate it. Again, uh, if you want to get that beer, patreon.com slash days. And if you give us six bucks this month, we will we will give you that beer next month at some point. Um, at TDA came out on Twitter. I'm at Texas Zeller. Dan's at D Wade. MJ is at MJ Matsui. We have been the Dave Tino. This is the Dave. Son. Long as you do yours, land here become feet, con. Yeah, uh, we, we yeah. do our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. Do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be we, done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Son, son, son.